we have been working our way through the book of Proverbs, not verse by verse, but more subject by subject. Uh, Last week we studied wealth, the blessing and the danger of it. And tonight, when you're poor or know someone who is, when you're poor or know someone who is, and I, I think... I'm not certain on this, and someone could well prove me wrong, but I think it was from the clever pen of Ogden Nash that uh, this quote comes, where he said, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. And certainly from the standpoint of uh, creature comfort, wealth has a lot of advantages over poverty. But we're looking at how to live life wisely and how to apply wisdom to all circumstances of life. Last week we spent time looking at some of the peculiar dangers that riches can, can bring. The writer of Proverbs, as you read, he seems to caution against extremes in all sorts of ways, including... Uh, our material state in this world, either riches or poverty. And he seems to recommend, at least in our hearts, he seems to recommend some kind of middle ground, middle-of-the-road approach in terms of the uh, material attachments of our lives. The reason is stated in Proverbs 30, 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. And when I read this prayer, I'm thinking immediately of how rarely I pray like this. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. I want to be an honest person. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Okay, now he wants to explain. He doesn't just leave that request hanging in the air. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Needful being a pretty important word. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, so he means really poor, and profane the name of my God. Lest I be full, doesn't say lest I be empty and deny you, lest I be full, lest I have much and deny you. Saying, who is the Lord? Who needs? Now, you don't, you don't say that, of course. We know better than to say that out loud. But he's talking about a lifestyle that just floats along kind of independently because all the bases can pretty easily be covered. And, and, and while we don't call it that, the writer of Proverbs calls living like that. Just living because I can do it. I can buy what I want. I can get what I need. I can take care of my needs. The writer of Proverbs calls living like that denying God. That's denying God. And fullness, wealth, doesn't have to, but it surely inclines our hearts in that 
direction. Or, lest I be poor, I, I, where is food going to come for my family? And I have to steal and profane the name of my God. So, the theme, when you read those 7, 8, and 9, those three verses, the theme is that he's praying, he's praying that God stay at the center of his life. Whether he has much, he doesn't want to deny him, or if he has little, he doesn't want to profane his name with what he does. So the prayer is that, that God be at the middle, the core, the heart of everything, and, and both poverty and riches, in their own unique way, both poverty and riches can war against that state of mind that just has God at the center of life. So I thought, let's talk about this unusual prayer of Agur. Here's what he seems to be saying, and I've got three or four things I just want to pull out of those verses. The first thing we see is the way a person prays is the most accurate test of his soul. I can surely understand a person who is poor, a person who needs a job, a person who needs finances for food. I can certainly understand a person in need praying and, and getting the idea that Jesus said we could ask for daily bread. So I have no problem with that. I can easily understand a person, person asking God to relieve him from deep poverty. I can understand, you know, praying for a raise. People frequently pray for a better job. And sometimes these things are even treated in a twisted sort of way by a lot of religion in the media in particular as being this is the surest sign of God's blessing that you drive that you drive a Porsche instead of an Elantra you know then obviously that's God prospering you but Agur's prayers it's a little bit different it's it's driven by this very deep and profound spiritual insight it's, it's a prayer, when you look at it, don't let me be so full that I deny you, and don't let me be so empty that I profane your name. It's, it's, it's a prayer that God steer my heart away from just acting upon my immediate desires, whether I have much or whether I have little. God, let not, let not having much and all of the desires that can be fulfilled by that, or having little and all of the desires that can arise by that, let not, let not the fulfillment of either set of desires be the main preoccupation of my life. Let not those desires turn into priorities. That's good praying. Don't let my material desires, based on much or based on little... Don't let my material desires turn into priorities. Help me to think more about my ultimate needs. And that, that, that is good praying. When, when the prayer, whether you have much or little, when the prayer is that God will keep you from acting on mere impulse... 
and keep you walking in the Spirit. That, that's very profound praying. It, it's, it's going deep in prayer. Okay, secondly, Agar prays with an eye toward the ultimate reality of eternity and the rapid approach of his inevitable departure from this world. Notice, notice how he words it. We don't know how old he was when he prayed this. It's in verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Let me ask you something. Don't answer it out loud, but in your heart. When's the last time in your devotional time, your own prayer time with God, when is the last time you were praying with God and mentioned your own death? It kind of shows how little we think of it, doesn't it? Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. This is Agur saying, some things must be made right before I die. Some things have to be in place before I die, and it's not wrong to start praying that way when you're 25. Accumulating great wealth isn't one of the things you have to do. I don't think anyone will pray properly or earnestly if he forgets the fact that he or she is mortal. This open reminder from Agur draws his prayers into life's biggest issues like a magnet pulls metal filings to itself. Remember what we said. Don't, don't let me act on my immediate desires and let them become priorities. Don't let me, because I have much, don't let me just increase in appetite and filling the appetite because I can. And if I have little, don't let me act in ways that are rash and impulsive without trusting you to provide for my daily needs. Why shouldn't I do either of those things? Because I'm going to die and I will face you. This matters. This matters. These things simply have to be thought through because we're mortal. Because everything comes to an end. Without this recognition of the rapid approach, the rapid approach of death and eternity, not just for some people, not just for Bob Lurie, but for me, for you. It's not an if question, right? It's just a when question. Illustration I used to give, I've used it before. We're all, we're all, we're all at Terminal 1 waiting for our flight. Every one of us. And for some of us, it's, it's 8 a.m., and for some of us, it's 3 in the afternoon. For some, it's 6 in the evening, and for others, it's 11 o'clock at night. But that's the only difference. We're all waiting for our flight. We're all at Terminal 1. <laughs> we are all waiting for our flight. 
And so, and so there's this reminder. Pray about these things. Think about these things. Why? Well, because, because the nature of these material concerns, either with little or with much, but the nature of them is they're, they're just so temporary. Unbelievably temporary. Without that recognition, when you pray, one thing I'm asking, two things before I die. Without that recognition of approaching death and eternity, selfish desires can easily masquerade as genuine priorities. Let me say that again. Without the recognition of death and eternity, selfish desires can easily masquerade as priorities. This is a part of what Jesus meant when he said, be watchful for the deceitfulness of riches. And the deceitfulness of riches can, can predominantly manifest themselves for the rich, but they can manifest themselves in the poor. If I just had more money, all my, boy, these problems would all be over. When eternity is kept in focus, perhaps, perhaps even occasionally mentioned, sometime this week when you're praying, talk to God about your death. Even if you're a teenager here, talk to him about your death and being ready for it. So when eternity is kept in focus, perhaps even mentioned in the prayer itself, temporal blessings may be acknowledged, but they will never take central stage. Okay, three. The third thing about this prayer. Material blessings are sought only in proportionate to provision for genuine needs. The last part of verse eight. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And the key word is that is needful. I know I know it's very easy for it's very easy for all of us to decide what other people need, right? And the only the only people I have to sort that out for is right here. The the, the wise person the wise person lives life with a sense of calling rather than just a sense of greed. He he knows what he needs to fulfill God's ordained will for his or her life. He desires the means to do so. And while no one can or should prescribe these boundaries for everyone else, we should all be on guard. We should all be on guard. I think we can agree to this. We should all be on guard against the the downward suction of this world to just Accumulate for the sake of having more and more and more and having a whole whack of it left when you die. So your kids can ruin their lives with it. There are some things that have to be done. There are some things that God's placed before us. Caring for family, providing for genuine needs, deeds of charity. It's perfectly appropriate to bring those requests to the Father. But what is instructive is to remind ourselves of exactly how Jesus taught us to bring these kinds of requests. Matthew 6.11. Give us this day our, our daily bread. Our daily bread. 
This is the same principle as taught in the book of Proverbs. Our, our physical needs are brought to the Father with a sense of, of, of proportion to what, what we really need. How much, how much bread can I eat in one day? Now certainly, most of us are more blessed by our Heavenly Father than this. We all have more than daily bread. But there's a difference between that and being grateful for it and thankful for it. There's a difference between that and becoming spoiled by the abundance we receive so that we think this is how, this is how life ought to be. And that somehow we're impoverished when we're not in abundance. Has a great deal to do with tonight's study on the subject of poverty. If this sense of legitimate provision for daily need is overlooked or neglected, we will constantly justify what is actually sinful greed by simply defining our condition as materially poor when it's nothing of the sort. Just waltz around the globe. You'll see where the poor people are. They aren't here. There's the foundation, looking at that prayer. We're, we're way more than halfway done, so don't panic. But, point number one. While not all cases of poverty have their cause in these roots, there are some specific scriptural principles which, if broken, will lead to poverty. This is one of those points that they mock and make fun of me for when the point is like half the message. Here are some of the things that can lead to poverty. Some of them are our own fault. One, undisciplined, reckless living. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen: Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. Whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. Oil, not the kind of oil in the ground, pumping oil like in Texas, but oil, it, it, the, the luxuries of life, the fineries of life. Here's a classic example of a person who forgets the very thing Agur reminded himself of in his prayer. He loses sight of the eternal, and, and he's all wrapped up in self-indulgence. Dangerous way to live, the writer says. Dangerous way to live. The mention of wine is, is not there so that... It's, it's, there, it's, it's a, a principle that it can lead to excess. It can lead to drunkenness. The drunkard lacks sound judgment. He's addicted himself to the point where he can't sustain himself. And so people, the writer is saying, people who neglect discipline in the way they use their material resources are fools in this world as well as the world to come. Because greed is a form of idolatry. And because it is, idols are cruel taskmasters. They drive the life. Well, what about it, Pastor Don? As God's children, aren't we allowed to enjoy the pleasures of this earthly life? Yes. 1 Timothy 6, 17. It's true that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He has and he does, and we should enjoy and appreciate his material blessings. The real question is, how do you, how do you appreciate God's blessing on your life 
And, and the starting point is you, you recognize that it's God's blessing on your life. It's God who brings that blessing. You're a steward of it. Two Sundays from now, remember, if God has blessed your life, it's God's blessing on your life. Do something great with it. Do something a person with less of that kind of blessing can't do. B, laziness can lead to poverty. Proverbs 20, 13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. The principle of labor linked to wealth and laziness linked to poverty, those are constant themes in the scriptures. Sleep, rest, it's a gift from God when it is the response of a tired body to hard work. When we require sleep, it's a wonderful provision from the Lord. Psalm 3, 5. If you've ever had trouble sleeping, you know how precious this verse can be. I lay down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. What a blessing. But this Proverbs 20:13 isn't about needing sleep. It's about loving sleep. Whoever loves sleep. It's about loving sleep for its own sake. Sleep used to avoid the necessary task at hand. It's amazing the lengths we go sometimes to rename plain laziness. Matthew 25, 25 to 30, Jesus tells this parable, and I'm going to jump into the middle of it. It's, it's when these, remember the servants were all given different numbers of talents, and they had to come back to Jesus and account for the way they invested and made more. And the one guy, he just buried it in the ground, but he dug it up and said, there, there it is. I, you gave it to me, and I'm giving it back to you. And he comes to the master, and he says, this is, now we're picking it up in 25. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And his master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant. Just read that much. The servant saw himself as afraid. 25, I was afraid. The master said he was lazy. Quite a difference, isn't there? The point of Proverbs differs only in the realm of the consequences suffered. Proverbs states that, at least frequently, laziness leads not only to damage in the eternal world to come, as Jesus emphasized, but a loss of material gain in this present world. Poverty can come, thirdly, from a a lack of proper planning. 21.15 The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty, everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. While the result is frequently the same as that of laziness, this route to poverty is different from the love of sleep that we just looked at. The lover of sleep, he refuses to set his hand to the task. He's lazy. The hasty man It's sort of lazy, but in a different sense. He's willing to work quickly for short spurts, but not willing to plan, organize, persevere, sowing a little bit consistently because he can't 
He can't discipline himself to see how this will accumulate to something greater down the road. That's the hasty prayer. If there's a quick way to get this done, let me tell you my favorite Bob Lurie story. We moved into our house. Um, this is years and years and years and years ago. And, and uh, in my living room, there's a, a kind of a bay-type window. And uh, I noticed that almost every time there was a heavy rain, the drywall would just get all... You know how drywall turns into putty? And it just gets all crinkly and the paint would peel off and it was just, you could push your finger right through it. And I, I called Bob and, and uh, he came over and we looked at it and he said, what you have to do, you've got to take this drywall, you've got to cut this all out. And there's something leaking around your window, and you might have to either get a new window. And the new window, like, that's over 10 bucks. And, and you're going to have to do that, and then you're going to have to get it sealed properly and do the drywall again. And I said, no. And he left, and I thought, I know how to fix this. And I got the, the spackle and the little thing, and I schmucked it all up and just smoothed it out and painted it. It looked great. And it rained again. You won't believe it. It all turned to muck. And Bob came back again. And we looked at it together. I could still remember us. He stood there and I stood here and we looked at it like this. And I was going, hmm. And he said, I told you. (laughs) You can't just patch this, okay? He said, that's quick, but it's not really fixing anything. And you know what I said? I said, no. I did that four times. (laughs) Four times. You know why? Because I could fix it quick that way. Hasty. Hasty. Part of it was because it was easier, and part of it was because I refused to admit that Bob was right. That's just a classic example of a person who wants to do something. He's not totally lazy. Wants something that can be done quickly, can be done easily, rather than persevering slowly, working through a task, planning, staying with it, persevering. Hasty. D, having listed these three sources of poverty, here's another, and it's different. Some people are poor due to social injustice. Proverbs 23, 13, 23, sorry. The fallow ground of the poor will yield much fruit, but it is swept away through injustice. It's swept away through injustice. In a time when the only avenue for the poor to provision would probably be tilling the ground, this proverb's point was very sharp. The poor would not own the land he was tilling. The poor person would work the land that was owned by someone else. They were, if you read your Old Testament, they were 
under God's law, allowed a certain portion, either of the produce or a small corner of the land itself, from which they could provide for their families. And God would see to it that the ground provided crop. And the poor, who had no other means for survival, he would work the ground. But there's a potential danger. The landowner could treat the poor with injustice. In the words of this proverb, the food of the poor could quite literally be just swept away through injustice. And this principle kind of opens up the conclusion of our study. God is, God is deeply concerned about how his people treat the poor. This Old Testament principle of injustice sweeping away the food of the poor. It's repeated in the book of James. We've seen these verses, James 5, 1 to 4. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why? Just because they have money? No. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord. God hears. So the point of that text just runs parallel to the Proverbs text. The sin of these business people wasn't that they were rich. It's that they gain or maintain their wealth by injustice to the poor. Okay, some spiritual principles on relating to the poor. One, the way you treat the poor is the way you treat God. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. He who is generous to the needy honors him. How do you honor God? We think of our worship on Sunday as the way we treat God. This verse says the way you treat the poor is the way you treat God. To ignore the poor is to ignore God. To abuse the poor is to abuse God. That's what that text, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 25. I'm not going to take the time to read it. It's a long text. 31 to 46, but, but he says, all these people standing before him, and they never made the connection, both those who, who were good and those who weren't good. And Jesus, Jesus said that, that he was naked and poor and hungry, and these people didn't uh, clothe and warm and feed him. And they couldn't figure that out. They said, we never saw you in any of those situations. And Jesus says, when, when you saw the needy, in those situations, and you ignored them. It was me you were ignoring. It was me. So secondly, we're to resist temptation to show favoritism to the rich. Proverbs 14.20, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor. The rich has many friends. Why does the rich person have friends? Well, people are drawn to wealth, sometimes even if it isn't theirs, even if it belongs to someone else. We just, we just, what makes people, if you've been around for a little while and you can remember, what makes people want to sit back and watch lifestyles of the rich and famous? 
we don't, we can't, I can't live like that. But it's neat to see someone who can. Like we're drawn to that kind of stuff. We're drawn to that kind of stuff. The Bible says that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a dreadful sin. kind of greed can come into the house of God. James talks about it. James 2, 1 to 4, about showing partiality. You give a good seat. You give positions. You give recognition to someone because they have a great deal of wealth, and the poor person, you kind of shuffle off to the corner. And so the Scriptures, like James, they, they push our hearts in the exact opposite direction. With great intentionality, James 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, widows in their affliction. Why? Does God just love orphans and widows? We know that's not true. He loves everybody. Why that? Because, because James knows pure religion, undefiled, religion that is, that is real and deep at the core won't be impressed by just... It won't visit and do good deeds just for people who can do something back. Everyone does that. How do you know your religion is God-centered? Because you'll spend your life on someone who couldn't possibly repay you in any way, shape, or form. That's how you know this person's doing it for Jesus. For Jesus. I don't sing her praises very often. She's not here tonight. But every, about every uh, board meeting, I walk down the hallway, and to get to the boardroom, I walk by, and I look in that room, and there's Lynette Mathura for I don't know how many dozens of years. And I see her in there with a very special group of needy people. And I look in there every time I walk by, I think if we get to heaven and we're all standing in line waiting to get in, it's going to be because Lynette Mathura is at the front of the line getting all her rewards from Jesus. Pure religion. Pure religion. Isn't just measured by this. I do that, by the way. I think it's biblical. But bless the poor and the needy. Reach out to those who need the most. One of the great ways we get to do that, by the way, is uh, World Impact Sunday. I was... And worship team, if you want, you can come up here and get ready. And musicians and stuff, I'm going to take a minute, and then you'll be, like, ready right after we uh, pray. You'll be ready to get right into it. So I'm just reading some stuff, and you can feel free to do that if you'd like. Some of the things we're doing on, uh, on uh, World Impact Sunday. I've, I've, Stephen Challoner is going to be with us. We've supported Stephen and Heather Challoner for, I'm going to say, 20 years but we've rarely done a special project for them. We've had other missionaries with uh, 
how should I say it, maybe slightly higher profile in our church. Not, they're, they're wonderful people and all that, but just maybe a bit of a higher profile. And Stevens never once come and say, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? He's the uh, regional director of all of Africa, a role that Murray used to have before coming to here and working in, in head office. And he's got, uh, he's got huge... Uh, huge needs with all sorts of people, and he's, he is uh, running quite a deficit in his budget, not for spending money on himself, but because he's the guy that every church that needs a roof, every Bible school that needs this, every, they all come to him, and he's funding everything. And he's never asked for anything, so when I got a meal from, uh, email, an email from him saying, and I could tell it was one of those, hi, Pastor Don, Really appreciate the way you guys have stood by me. Um, but I'm really in a jam. <laughs> and I emailed him back and I said, can you come? Can you come? Because he's here for meetings in, in national office. Can you be here on November 15th? I've already got some missionaries lined up, but if you could come and even make a quick presentation and tell the people your need, I said, we'll do our very best to just wipe that out for you. And it's a sizable chunk of money that we're going to try and help him with. Uh, Peter McIntosh is going to be here. They have a church project in, in Chennai, in India. Uh, we've been involved a little bit with uh, getting, getting some work established in India, and there's a whole a church building that we're going to be refurbishing and fixing up. Zimbabwe Bible College. You may not remember this, but years ago... Um, one of the first really big offerings that this church raised, Murray was still in Africa, and he came home here, and he had this need for, uh, the Bible school was moving from the old campus, they had found land, and they were going to buy this land that had some buildings already on it, but they couldn't afford to do it. And it was that World Impact Sunday, and I'm going way, way back now, and we raised... At that time, it was about 120-some thousand dollars. The first time, really, we had hit a number like that. That's this Bible college. Like, we're invested in it. Right now in, in, uh, in Harare, at this Bible college, the power is out about six hours a day. And so everything just kind of shuts down, stops, especially uh, in the evening. And, 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 and the location by the equator, it gets dark really fast. And so everything just shuts down. So we're going to help them get generators. They came with that request. That's a big deal, too. That's not a light touch. That's, that's scores of thousands of dollars. Stuart Minik Shah are going to be here. And uh, he's got plans for um, a child care center and, a, and a, a center for some of the girls, you know, and in the, in the, they get out of the brothels and stuff like that. Architect plans for that. He has no budget for that. We're going to help do that so that he'll be able to take care of that. Ted Leck emailed me. Ted Leck is pastor of Church in the City down in Toronto. This church has been the largest single supporter of Church in the City for 20 years. We're not the closest to him, but we've been the biggest supporter of that ministry down in the city. And he wrote with a, with a list of needs, and we're going to help him. Kirk Caulfield's going to be with us. You know, I did it again. I think I booked too many missionaries. And they're going to be here. And, and uh, Kirk 
uh, will soon be moving into a new role, but right now he's at the Christian Lithuania University, and they are very involved with the influx of, of people from Syria. And they have a program where they take these students, most of them Muslim, by the way, that come in, and get them into Christian University and start them studying and learning. And, and he's going to come and tell us a little bit about that, and we're going to help support that. I got an email from Serge Bersaglio, and uh, his vehicle is... We bought that vehicle for him, but it's about 15 years ago that we bought it, and it's pretty much kaput, and he needs to get a new vehicle. It'll be used for sure, but it, it's the vehicle he has to get... Cars like ours are useless with the roads there. It's got to be a Land Rover kind of a vehicle. And even used, they're, they're a bit of money. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And you know what? That, that's why God blesses us. Pure religion. Undefiled. Find needs like this. And fill them. Just fill them. You all up for this? You all really, really excited about this? Okay, calm down. I don't want you all going crazy. Let's pray.